Welcome back to another installment of the Declassified Discussions. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Sick Frank Sanders. Today's guest, we're thrilled to have a certified ufologist, cryptozoologist, paranormal researcher, and investigator. She's appeared on the Travel Channel's UFO Witness, as well as on Demi Lovato's Unidentified. She's also the host of No Earthly Explanation podcast as a paranormal advisor for Station 211. Hushlings, Hushtillians, and Hustronauts, please welcome Brittany Barbieri. Brittany, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Of course. It's, I'm glad I was able to come on and be here, so thanks for the invite. Please, before we get going, could you take some time to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you have going on right about now? Yeah, so I study, I'm a certified, as they like to call, ufologist. And by that, I did a course to study and put my hours in with my mentor, Donald Schmidt, which he's an author. He's kind of like the head king of Roswell. And from there, you know, I I study cryptozoology. I was proactive and very active in the paranormal community, investigating locations for months on end in some cases to identify the situation of the haunting. And currently right now, I work alongside my production partner and really a very dear friend of mine, Ben Hansen. And together we collaborate and work on UFO hotspots. And we gather intel and information from uh, retired and active military in all stations to collect the data and hopefully help provide this for the congressional hearings and for other things moving forward to help break the silence of the disclosures. That's pretty awesome because most of our questions center around all of all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's also nice because we also had been on our show previously for a a short interview yeah he's his head is like a vault full of information we both geek out when we call and talk to each other because it's quite you know this is the field we love so it's fun tell us a little bit about how you got involved in paranormal investigations and what really sparked that interest to get into not only paranormal but also cryptids and ufology Well, it all started when I grew up in Esses Park, Colorado. I was born in Tucson, Arizona, and then I grew up in Esses Park. So we would venture out and always go to the Stanley Hotel in the winter. And, you know, they always had like wonderful festivities and stuff. So it kind of always surrounded me. And growing up in the Rocky Mountains, the legends of Bigfoot was no stranger to any of us. Um, And especially UFOs and things like that, because the skies are so clear. And, um, you know, I had my first true like paranormal encounter when I was four. Um, I saw a native American at four years old and it, it really terrified me and it stuck with me. Um, and it was funny. My siblings never believed what I saw. They thought it was just my overactive imagination, but my parents believed me. And then as I got older, my siblings started seeing stuff and my older brother started seeing stuff. Then they were like, okay, we believe you. <laughs> we, we believe you. But that was kind of like the spiral into it for me. It started, um, my interest in knowing that there are things around us that are not, you know, we d- we're not going to read about this in our history books. We kind of figure about it, figure out about it by ourselves. And I was I was lucky and blessed enough to have a very open minded family that really encouraged me and would share these topics with me. And my father and my mother introduced me to um, Dr. Jalen Hynek, which was amazing because I got to know his work. I got to know about Project Blue Book, um, and of course, I fell in love with Close Encounters because he's in it. So obviously, you know, he helped provide the case files and the things for it, and then made his appearance. So 
you know, being kind of thrown into all of that, it just, you know, it doesn't matter what you think you set out to do in life. I always knew it didn't matter. I, I worked in film and television for all my life and I worked doing stunts. I worked on screen, off screen, stand in. I did it all, but it didn't matter where I was. It always, I was always brought back to paranormal. Didn't matter. There would be somebody on set that would just come to me and say, Hey, I have a random question, but do you believe in ghosts or Hey, I have a random thing. Do you believe in the, you know? And I was always like, why, how do they pick me out? Do I have a sign on my face? (laughs) So it got to a point when I was like, you know, in my teens that I finally said, forget it. I'm, I'm sticking with this and I'm, uh, this is going to be my field work on the side and everything I do moving forward will be to help advance that, that study. And that's just basically what I've done. So I do, you know, paranormal is a large scope and I, I have my interests in certain topics like Sasquatch within cryptozoology and ufology with UFOs and abductees and things like that. But I, I really I dove head first into paranormal and within paranormal, there's so much, it's not just ghosts. And so I wanted to know it all. I wanted to know as much as I could. So if there's a topic that I liked, I'd read about it and study about it and go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I would get lost, but you know, I loved having all that information because some of it connects and some of it doesn't. And that leaves you wondering what the heck's going on. So it became a real passion real fast. Yeah. We had Mark O'Connell on our show also, He's a big researcher into Dr. Hynek, and he's an awesome person. He's been on twice. But more so in the paranormal realm, I know personally we have all kind of had paranormal experiences. Now, I wonder, do you think that paranormal activity or ghosts or specters or poltergeist, whatever it may be, latch to a certain type of person? or show themselves to a certain type of person, or maybe a certain type of person can also see through thinner parts of the veil, let's say? Well, that's a very good question. I've, you know, I've, I've actually wondered that time and time again. However, I, I believe there's a thing called conditioning. And I think that each of us actually have the ability to see these things, but we are taught from a very young age not to. It's not real. And so our logical part of our brain kicks in, the analytical, logical that breaks things down. And because it's so forced upon us to believe that these things aren't real, they do not exist, ghosts are not real, demons aren't real, all this stuff isn't, you know, it's all a a figment of your imagination. I think that's what happens to a majority of society. So they learn to close that element off as they grow up, that it's not real. So they break things down. And, you know, you can actually pull studies and statistics that it's a very tiny, tiny number of people that will say, I've never had an experience that I can't explain, but it's because they try and break it down rationally. But if they actually looked at their experience, it's, it would be paranormal in nature, but they're trying to break it down. I think mostly out of fear of the unknown. Um, But I also believe on that same coin that there are people that are born with gifts and abilities to hone in on a deeper level. And I believe, you know, in the theory that basically our brain, if we can open up our brain capacity more than 10%, I think we'd be unstoppable. And I think some people are just genetically born with a different, um, a different ability of opening up their brain in different parts to see clearer through the veil than others. And I think those are the people that we know as mediums and, you know, in different aspects and things like that, that can really hone in on it. 
And I think we all could have that capability if we would focus on it as a muscle and train it to do so and not close it off. You mentioned thinking rationally, and that always brings me back to when people that I have conversations with that have, I guess, ghost or spirit or seeing shadows, they always say, oh, well, it's a relative or it's a friend just to make themselves feel more comfortable with the fact that they have no idea what they saw. You brought that up and that made me think of that every single time that somebody isn't open to even if you say something about UFOs, they just go, ugh, you know, like whatever. But those are the same type of folks that I know that would say, oh, no, no, it's just my great grandfather. He used to he used to prank us in life. And you now he's doing it in death just to make themselves calm, you know, because mm-hmm. it's scary as hell to see something like that when you don't know what it is. That would kind of be a great explanation for why a lot of people think that toddlers and very young children are more susceptible or more able to experience this sort of thing. I feel like that's a pretty common statement that kids are more able to pick up on ghostly entities and spirits and whatnot. But maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe they just don't have that ability yet to try to rationally explain it away. That's just right there in front of them. Yeah, kids are very you know, they're very matter of fact, they don't know how to, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an age there where they, what they see is what they see. You know, that's why they always say, gosh, kids, they just say the darndest things. They just come right out and tell you how it is. Cause they don't know that these things hurt your feelings. They don't know that they just don't know it. They just see it as it is. And they tell you, and they haven't been taught yet or conditioned yet to you know, this is, this is science. And if it's not based completely on science, then it's not real. Or if you didn't read this in this book, then it's not real. You know, there's no pre, you know, pre conditioning being done yet. So I always love when I see parents and they say, Oh, I think my child is talking to someone in their room and they don't freak out about it. They actually sit down and sit and talk with their child and say, so who do you see? Like what's going on? You know, and they make it more not scary they make it like, oh, you're having an experience. So tell me about what you're seeing, you know? And in some cases, like you mentioned, Dave, that there's, you know, relatives, I think they know if I want my family to know that I'm here and I'm visiting with them, in some cases, if it is their relative, they will go to the child for the child to say, I saw grandpa and grandpa looks like this to validate to the family. Well, he would never know who grandpa was because he wasn't here yet when grandpa passed. So that the relative can make their appearance and let them know I'm still here checking in on everyone but I do visit my grandchildren because they're going to tell you it's me. You know, I think there's a lot to that, that we, again, as adults logically put out like, no, that's scary. I don't want to know that <laughs> my parents are visiting, but it's cool in a sense, you know, and it's just a really weird topic in some, in some cases and in some groups. One of the biggest topics that I encounter, especially with ridicule, even friends, family is UFOs. And that seems to be something that's your forte. One thing I want to ask before we talk about UFOs in general is, have you had a crazy UFO encounter, experienced something? Have you had anything more than just a craft that you've seen or lights in the sky? I've had two accounts. Um, You know, growing up, we used to see lights that would make ridiculous patterns in the sky. We were like, that's not a satellite. (laughs) Nothing moves like this. (laughs) You know, and as a kid, you're watching and you're like, you see it or whatever. Um, And, you know, as a kid, like I said, I was never taught to be scared of it. I was taught that there's life on other planets and they come and they go, you know, and it was never a fear thing in my household anyway. Um, I always found it quite fascinating, you know. Um, 
But the two accounts I had, you know, I went all the way into my 30s before I actually saw my first UFO during the day. Like flat out, there it is. Holy crap. Like there's no denying that that is what it is. Like at night, you know, again, you start to break it down. Well, maybe that wasn't a UFO. Maybe that weird zigzag thing was something military. You know, like you start breaking it down. But when you see it in person, it's like, oh, my God, during the day, there's no misidentification. I know what I saw. Um, and my mm. first encounter was we had just picked up my sister from the airport and my father and I were in the front seat of the car and I had my mom in the back with my kids and my sister. And we were getting leaving the airport and getting onto the on-ramp to get back on the interstate. And I, I look up and I'm always the person driving with my eyes on the skies. I do not recommend people doing this, but I do this all the time, probably because I'm like, I'm going to miss something amazing and I don't want to be that person. Um, and so I was just looking up and I noticed that there was something really shiny sitting in the cloud. And I thought, well, maybe the light's just hitting something in the cloud, or maybe it was a plane that I missed. And I looked back up as I'm trying to pay attention to driving and it's not, it's like this Tic Tac, but this Tic Tac has this, I can't even, you know, your brain tries to process what type of material this thing is made out of to illuminate and shine so bright that the sun hits it and almost blinds you. But you can see that it's a Tic Tac. And I literally smacked my dad and I was like, look. And so, cause he's fascinated by this stuff. And immediately this thing, and I swear it comes straight up horizontally, like comes up, it's laying horizontal, comes up vertically and it's sitting there and it's l- like levitating out of this cloud and a 747 hmm. American airlines jet takes off right in front of it. But as the airline gets close to it, it went straight back down like straight down vertically, still horizontal position, just straight back down, went into the cloud, waited for that plane to cross, came back up for just a second, went back in and disappeared. And this thing was larger, if not the same size as the 747. What? So of course my dad and I are like, oh my God, did anybody in the car see that? Like we're freaking out because we're like, oh my God, that was the most incredible daytime sighting I have ever seen in my entire life. And of course I call Ben and Ben's like, did you pull off? Did you film? I'm like, no, I'm on an on-ramp, Ben. I have a Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, and he's like, right. You know, so we were laughing about it later. He's like, yeah, you did what I would have done. I'm like, yeah, exactly. We were trying to process it. Um, but that was like my first incredible daytime sighting and the way that it moved and it was hiding and using the cloud as coverage to like completely conceal themselves. And then I had a nighttime which was recent. It was actually in the last um, 11 months. I had my first black triangular experience and it was so low that as we were driving up to it and we were on the country roads heading, we were actually going to be passing my parents' ranch on the way. And I noticed it and I I said, my husband's like, oh no, it's it's literally just a plane. I said, no, that's not a plane. That's not a drone. What is that? And of course my brain's processing all the shapes that I know, you know, and I'm like, what could that be as I'm getting closer and it's black. So I can't really make it out, but it's not moving. And literally as we got onto it, I begged him to stop the car. He wouldn't stop. He was like, I'm not stopping. We don't know what it is. But I rolled my window down. This thing wasn't more than probably 30 feet above my vehicle. So that's how close I was to actually observe it. Rolled my window down, stuck my head out. And this thing had to be about 20 feet long, maybe 25 feet long. Perfect black triangular shape, no sound, not moving, hovering. And the lights underneath, what I found fascinating was they were like, you know, like strobe lighting. Let's think strobe lighting for a second, but in rope lighting, rope tape. Okay. So take that rope tape and do the entire outline of the bottom of the craft. 
and have the strobe colors going. But the colors were like purple, greens, blues, and reds. And it's constantly that's, just moving. That's interesting. But no sound. Not a hum and drones hum. Even when they're just hovering, that's like a very live vibration, a very low vibration sound. This had no sound. And I mean, to look up at it, like I did driving underneath it with the window down. And because I wanted to know if I could hear anything, because if there was a sound, then it might have been military because we live close to one of the military training bases. And it wasn't. I mean, the silence is what killed me. So I'm looking at this massive object sitting above just hovering, lights strobing. No sound. How? How? That makes no sense to me. So, of course, I called Don. I called Ben. And I'm like, oh, my God, guys. And Ben's like, that's like mine. I saw the same thing when I was on track. Like, let me tell you my experience. And so then we shared our triangular experiences because I was like, this makes no sense. Like, the lights, his light pattern was different than my light pattern. But who's to say that they don't have different vehicles? You know what I mean? Like, but it was very odd. So that was my first up-close nighttime encounter instead of just seeing something through a scope or a night watch experience or what have you? I've seen the triangle twice in my life in Connecticut, and it were in relatively the same spot within like five miles of each other. And the first time I saw it, it was very late, and I didn't really think anything of it except for like, wow, that the thought it was a helicopter, and it was like right above my car. And then I looked, and I just kind of kept on driving, and then I realized I was like, that was not a helicopter. And I looked out the window, and the thing is blocking out the stars. In, on this, in the street that I was on. And a couple of years later, I had another encounter. I had an ex-girlfriend with me and we were driving and she physically was like ready to throw up out of the car because I'm pointing out the window kind of like you did. I've rolled down the window and I'm just like out. There. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I saw. And it was literally right above me, like probably maybe a little bit higher than 30 feet, but it was above the trees. But I always tell people it was like 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. And it had red lights on each point. And then a white light in the center that pulsated and it just hovered directly over me on the street. And then I had to take a right down the street to go to my house, which wasn't very far from it. And as I'm coming up the hill, I could see it in the distance, just as like a, the lights for Hartford were, were out in the distance, and, but it was blocking out that light pollution and the lights went out. But that was, those triangles are crazy to see because they are dead silent. Like mm -hmm. no sound. And that's interesting with the strobe lighting pattern. And then you mentioned that somebody else has seen a different pattern of lights. That's really interesting. It seems like the most common is the the red dot, the red spheres on each corner, though. In the end, that seems like a very common um, sighting, which is very strange. On UFO Witness, you guys explore a little bit at the possibility of underwater extraterrestrial bases. Can you elaborate on that idea a little bit for us? Yeah. So that's actually an area of interest for me. That's where I do a lot of my studies and research um, and where I do a lot of my collective data. So, you know, everybody has their eyes on the skies. Um, and I've talked to many individuals who are scientists who are um, a part of marine biology and programs who have stated to me that, you know, secretly they're obsessed with UFOs. And they don't think that they're coming from the skies. They think they're coming from the ocean. And so having these discussions multiple times, including, you know, Don, he agrees the same with me that he thinks that they're already here and they could be in our ocean. Um, it's, it's a very, you know, it's funny to me that nobody wants to talk about USOs. Everybody immediately goes to UFOs, UAPs, you know, or whatever, whatever they want to call it these days, um, that they forget that a lot of our 
our Navy and a lot of our fishing channel captains who come through talk about lights in the water that are not bioluminescent or um, any kind of sea creatures that are coming up. These are actual moving vessels that disturb the water like an engine would coming up from beneath them and then taking back off at rapid speeds that, that even a submarine and, and a ship couldn't do. Um, and so I started collecting this data several years back because it fascinated me and nobody was talking about it. No one was touching on it. And what's even more interesting to me is when you get into the Pacific Ocean that the NOAA has documented several sounds they cannot explain. There's two still that they battle, the scientists battle on all the time. And if you slow it down and listen to it, which I have them, and I and I do it on occasion, that, that is not an animal. It's not ice breaking. And like, I love the woman that came up and they said, oh, it's, you know, fish farting. I'm like, oh, so we have that documented. We know what fish farting sounds like. Okay. Um, you know, and so for me, I'm like, God, guys, you just, you want to pull strings on everything it could be instead of saying it's possible. We're hearing something that's unearthly underneath our water. Um, but the Channel Islands, the Channel Islands and Catalina and Guadalupe, there is something going on around that area. And if you've never been to Catalina, which Dave, you may have because you're in California, but most of the year, because I've actually lived out there too. And, you know, a lot of my friends that were getting trained or stunt trained to do diving in a certain movie, we'd have to go to Catalina. That's where they would be trained to do diving. That's where you're certified. So we'd all go out there all the time. But what I always found fascinating was like, here's this little mysterious island like Jules Verne had talked about and others that most of the season, you cannot see Catalina from the coast. You can't see it. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of time of the year you cannot see that island. And when you're taking the little, you know, the little ferry over, it's like Jurassic Park. There's like this giant cloud that covers it. And then you go through it and then it's like, boom, here's this amazing island. And you just hear Jurassic Park playing in your head. <laughs> and it like, it just always fascinated me because you think about the high magnetic fields around the island. Um, there's, there's other things on the island. There were giant, giant bones discovered on the island, which of course was extremely covered up by poor Ralph and they humiliated this man. And it's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous, um, what they did to him. And there's, there were tunnels on the island that they've discovered that go literally 500 feet down to 700 feet down. Wait, why? Um, uh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And then on the back side of the island, you know, in 1966, you know, Hansen actually captured one of the best footage of a UFO on the heading over the backside of the island. And he was like, I think in a Cessna or something like that when he documented this, but it's still one of the best because we think that's a, the proof of a possible USO because it goes behind the mountain and then just disappears. And this island doesn't have mountains like in the Mesa. You can't just go into a mountain and disappear. Like it would have to go and submerge and be, you know, you don't see it anymore. But abduction cases that have happened in and around the island say they never went into a vessel. They went underground. Um, the way that they look, they're very, they match what would be like aquatic type looking beings. So yeah, my studies have continued to enhance and literally over the last two and a half, three years, there's been an extreme uptick of sightings between the Channel Islands, Catalina and Guadalupe to the point to where it's, I mean, almost ridiculous. Like you could literally go tonight to Catalina Island and you will see a UFO or a USO. Like it's just to that extreme where you will see or something that you cannot explain. And 
My favorite is the captains and boat captains that come through all the time. They talk about lights in the water that they cannot explain that they go through those channels all the time. And just recently, which I don't know if you guys saw that Ben is working on who he contacted me on that I'm helping him with. There was an encounter that just happened on Thursday near the channel islands where a pilot who literally is X, you know, he's an X F 18 fighter. He knows military, like the back of his hand had an encounter and it's an incredible one. And so there's a YouTube link up. Um, I'm going to be reposting it again today in my stories with new information, new data that we're getting collected from it. And there's such a massive uptick on our coast and in our water. No one's talking about. I've talked to several Navy men who've had experiences on the West Coast and the East Coast that are incredible cases. And it's all water related, hmm. not inland. Uh, it's all in the water. So why we're looking up all the time? I don't know. We really need to start looking down. We have actual footage from the Navy that was leaked that shows the submergible object going in and out of the water like it didn't even affect it. Didn't even affect it. And if you start looking at the objects that are doing these, that's the Tic Tacs. And so for me, I think that's a huge, huge thing that we need to start paying attention to is that they can go in and out of water within our aerospace. I always found it kind of interesting that we never did really pay much attention to what's going on in the oceans, whether it be just marine life or kind of mapping out underwater topography and stuff like that. But especially like you say, with these sightings, I think a couple of years ago, the Navy had a couple of videos of USOs fully diving into the water and submerging. And it is always interesting that we pay more attention to outer space. I think we're obsessed with this idea of an alien coming from another world and floating above us in these 1950 saucers and, you know, abducting people and rays and lasers and all that other stuff. But in reality, a lot of the stuff and a lot of the evidence that we could find regarding UFOs or USOs in this case could be more concrete evidence because it is earthbound. It is on our planet. It is something that we can monitor for all intent and purpose. It's just odd that we really haven't looked much into it except with the exception of the the past couple of years. We've talked about mm-hmm. USOs a bunch. We've talked about a lot of things going on under the, uh, under the oceans and <laughs> extremely interested in stuff like that. And you mentioned Catalina Island too. And that I can only see it. I'm in San Diego, so I can only see it on the top of a hill in one neighborhood. And it has to be crystal clear to see that, to see that island. But it's it's a very large island. And then there's a couple islands off the coast of San Diego that I think belong to the Navy and the Air Force. Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's part of the same Channel Island group, but up towards LA. My brother actually went camping on one of the Catalina Islands. I forgot which one, but it's gorgeous. He took a bunch of shots, but there's definitely something weird going on there. Have you heard of the supposed underwater base that's near Santa Monica that people yes. have been claiming to see on Google Earth? Do you have any thoughts on that? That's actually one that um, Ben and I, that's like our touchy topic between the two of us, <laughs> because he oh, actually really? um, he actually did work in debunking that uh, when he did Factor Fake years and years ago. And I, I told him, I said, yeah, you know, I hear you. I hear you. But did you dive down there? You know, I always say that too. <laughs> so did you go down yourself and see it? Or are you just, you know, that's always my, you know, I, I've studied that. I've, you know, I've heard people saying we know for sure. I always bring it up as like a, 
as a possibility of consideration to re-look at that because the shape is very odd. And I know I've talked to specialists um, and geologists and I've talked to everybody that per- like could work in this that might have some kind of information. And they're like, well, yeah, it's Googler. So it's really hard. You know, it's hard to tell what it could be. And the, those do look like pillars, but maybe they don't really look like pillars per se, you know, when you're underground. And so for me, it's like, I don't know how many, uh, I think it's like that base is several hundred feet down or maybe into the thousands. I don't remember now offhand. I have it written down. And so I've always said to myself, well, then why aren't we gathering up a team and going after it like the Titanic? Because I want to see it myself to rule out the fact that it's not what it looks like. And you're basing this based off of just Google Earth and what we are taught or what we think we may know regarding structural uh, rock formation in the ocean. And as far as I know, which I love just at nighttime going through Google Earth and, and exploring the ocean, I've yet to set, like find something that looks like that. So for me, it always comes back up in the back of my head, always <laughs> like, hey, don't forget about that cool structure. <laughs> and so I've always... I, that's always been one of my biggest fights. Like, how can you say you know for certain if you've never actually seen it for yourself? So until you can go down in a vessel like they do and like we have, we have scientists that go thousands of feet down in their vessels, until we can see it for ourselves, I'm not yet ready to rule it out. And so that's always my fight with Ben is that, and he agrees with that part to see it visually for yourself, is you yeah. can't rule something out until you have seen it for yourself and it's confirmed, nope, it's a it's a perfect rock formation. You know, I mean, you can look at, you know, Giant's Causeway, for instance. That's a natural rock formation. It's fantastic. Yet the history is that Giant's made them. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But at least we can actually go and look at it and process it ourselves and make that kind of collective data process information from what we're looking at. So for me, I love that little location. In the back of my head, I want to believe without a shadow of a doubt that that is a base. Like in the back of my head, I'm like, it's a base. I'm just going to keep it to myself because no one's going to listen. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that place, yeah. So in the past few years, there's been a major shift in the way the media as well as regular citizens see the UFO, UAP phenomenon. Do you think that at any point there will be the intention of giving us the truth as far as the government goes or as far as disclosure goes. You know, that's what? a no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, <laughs> you're so right. But like, I, <sighs> we've seen this time and time again, where do I think that they're becoming a little bit more willing to talk about it more so now? Because, you know, I think what they're realizing is that, okay, so there's, there's, Oh, this is such a, I love this topic. So I'm always like, you know, the government's going to show up at my door one day, but you know, it, in re, you have to look through history. And so let's just start with Roswell, right? There's massive cover up. We know what happened. There's too many people. We know what happened and they want to continue to come out. Even to this day, it didn't happen the way we thought it did yet. Everybody, we know, we know, sorry, no matter what you want to say, we know, we know the truth. And they can't come out now, 75 years later, and say, well, guys, we just want the public to know we've been lying to you. Because the government is who we're supposed to trust as our 
you know, as a society, we're supposed to trust our government, which I always laugh when people tell me they do. And so um, I, I, I'm like, they can't come out now and say, all right, guys, we've been lying to you. Aliens are real. Everybody's right. We have to kind of come forth and tell the truth now because everybody's got a phone with a camera in it and anybody can document anything Document anything at any time. So, hey, guess what? Roswell's real. Ah, don't, don't be mad, you know? And so they can't do that. So because then they'll lose the control of the public, they'll lose the respect of the public. And then if they're willing to lie about Roswell and they have to such extent, what else are they lying about? So they can't do that. I mean, they just they just can't. And so now with this new movement, I laugh because they won't even call them UFOs. They want to move away from the UFO history. They want to call them UAPs, which makes no logical sense. I don't know how stupid they think the public is, but calling them a UAP makes no sense. And they confirmed that in their own congressional hearing recently, where he literally states, we know it's an object. We know it's a tangible object flying in our atmosphere and in our aerial space. Okay, well, hey, guess what? You can't call it a UAP anymore then if you know it's an object. And then for you guys to tell us that you don't have any in possession, how do you know it's an object? So they leak out these information without realizing they're slipping up and they're giving away too much of their information. And now what we're discovering, uh, especially Ben and I, is they believe that they're unmanned, that there are some that are considered unmanned, which would be like a drone. And as I mentioned to Ben recently, that would mean that they have a privy to understand the difference between unmanned and manned. How would they know that if we've never made contact with one? How would we know that if we've never had one in possession? So these are things that I, I think is really funny. And the latest articles through a lot of the news stations, New York Times, um, gosh, all the major social-driven platforms for news release, they say, you know, we now know they are not man-made. We're investigating knowing that they're not man-made. You know, man-made means it's an unidentified aerial craft that we've known since the 50s and 40s that they haven't been man-made. So it's like they're trying to make it look like we're telling you this new information, but you're not. We already knew that they're not man-made because you guys have been proving that for a long time because we didn't know what they were. That's why they were unidentified flying objects. Like, are you kidding me right now? So I find it hilarious in some respects, and I feel that the congressional hearing was a joke, the first one. I think that there were gentlemen in the congressional hearing that really wanted to push the envelope and really wanted the truth, including um, Gallagher and, a, and several others. And, and, you know, and like Gallagher, he nailed him to the table several times. And if you're going to investigate and be a head part, a, a leading chair on the table of collective data for the, for the uptick and the recent encounters, we're going from like once a week sightings to 12 a day. Let's just look at the, how the percentage has really increased. And you don't know the history. You don't know some of the major historical things that took place of what these U UFOs did to military bases, to military men, to Navy, to Army, to Marines, to, to, to Navy SEALs. Like you don't know any of these, like any of these accounts. You look dumbfounded or do they? Do they know? And they're not allowed to talk about it. Because each one of those gentlemen were given a script of what they were and were not allowed to say because of what they were a privy to. And there is a sector that handles these things that not everybody can get level access to because that's their job.
So even though they call them the men in black, those gentlemen still exist today because they are investigating this. I thought we were past this. I thought this was just the 40s and 50s of putting the fear in God in people. Or even through the Blue Book eras, all the way up to, to 1970. January of 1970 is when Project Blue Book's office actually locked its door. Hynek left in 69, but the actual last case box to leave was January of 1970. So why are we doing this? Why, why can't you just be transparent and talk to us about just, let's just say in the last 10 years, don't go back to the forties and fifties. You want to call it UAPs now. What do we know about UAPs now? Tell us now, just be transparent because right now the public's doing a better job than they are about getting the information and data out. That's who I enjoy talking to because I don't think we're going to get any information from them for a very long time. Now, I know they're gearing up for another congressional hearing. I know it's set uh, for the first part of the year, I believe January, but I have heard that they may be trying to get it sooner because of the uptick and a lot of things are being pushed to the forefront within the news. And I think they want to be ahead of the game on that to kind of have their voice in that mixer before somebody else does. Maybe Mm -hmm. the move in that moniker from UFO to UAP to USO is just kind of like a psychological thing, maybe like just to move people away from the idea that it is an alien per se or an extraterrestrial and that it is more militaristic, something, a, a spy vehicle or something of the sort. Do you think that's maybe the move couldn't, could. I think that was their initial move. Yeah. I think when they first started this in 2017, to start slowly leaking information, to start slowly getting information out, calling them UAPs and, and so on. What, what I find fascinating is even in the 80s, they called them UAPs. They lumped them into aerial phenomena, which is fine in-house. Um, but to the public, we knew them as UFOs because they're unidentified flying objects. No matter what you want to call them, even if they are from another country, you could still call them unidentified because it's not part of our military. Um, but what I think now is happening is that they're, I mean, now they've renamed them now. They have several names. I can't even keep up with it. Oh my God, I can't keep up with it. It doesn't make any sense. I, I'm very old school. So when I talk about them, they'll always be UFOs because that is what they are. doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter if it's from the ocean, the sky, the moon. I don't give a crap where they're from. They are still going to be a UFO because, you know, you, you yourself as military have, have openly admitted within the government officials that they are objects. So therefore, it's still an unidentified object. Um, but I do think at first they were trying to remove the stigma, bring us into the 21st century, the new kids growing up to not know the true history of the cover-ups that have taken place from the early 40s. Because, I, you know, was, what is fascinating is I found several comment blog pages that individuals didn't even know about the two projects before Project Blue Book. It fascinates me. And what was also even more like are you I've never slammed my fists on a table so hard before like I have watching the congressional hearing when they were asked, was there any other prior investigations before Project Blue Book? And they both said no. And that's completely incorrect. I mean, I just, I can't. Like I, I literally go, I just can't deal with this. Like sometimes I have to walk away. I have to just purge it out and I have to come back to my work because it's just fascinating to me how much they try and remove the stigma and they don't want to say they're extraterrestrial because I think that will scare the public. I think they think it will scare the public, but if they actually would read some of these room conversations 
And the majority of percentage, they did a statistic percentage recently where people were like, yeah, we believe in aliens. Like, I mean, they literally were like, yeah, it's not a big deal. We know that we can't be the only life that exists, you know? So I think they're still stuck in the mindset of like the 50s and 60s. Like if they say this, people are going to just lose their mind. But we're not, you know, we're in a different era. We're in a different understanding of, we have a freaking robot on Mars right now sending back audio. We're in a whole new space. So it's okay. I mean, even Elon is starting to come out with a little bit of uh, questions and curiosity. Like he's starting to be a little bit more than he was even 12, 15 years ago on the topic. And I think that that's even incredible. They need to stop with this. And I, I agree. I think it was at first, but not so much anymore. Over the past couple of years, I have felt that it's almost like a looming event that is coming out. It's a slow rollout. Mm-hmm. And not only pertaining to UFOs or UAPs, whatever you want to call them, extraterrestrial life, but if you look at a lot of the things and studies that are coming out, they're talking about alternate universes. They're talking about fine, you know, they know that the fourth and fifth dimension now exists and they can prove it. And they're talking about life after death and they know that a soul in a consciousness transfers to, this was just the other day, they know that a consciousness transfers after death to another dimension. And you see these small Mm-hmm. kind of stories coming out and they're not really smart they're massive really if they're true but they're rolling them out in these slow slow dramatic types of ways and i think it's almost to prepare people for bigger things to come because you have to test the waters in releasing these pieces of information you have to say okay if we put an obscure piece of work in this random magazine see how people react to it and then we push it up to a a more prominent piece and see how people react to it and it's almost like they're testing the waters to see what people can handle psychologically before they come out and say okay this is real this is real this is what's really happening we live in a bubble there is no space we're in a simulation whatever it may be they're practicing and even as far as like to go mm-hmm. and release documents with the gateway project where they talk about astral travel and they talk about uh, remote viewing and the CIA dropping millions and millions of dollars into these projects and pretty much saying that it, that they were successful. Even the people like that are allegedly part of the MyLab programs or something like that. Secret space program, galactic federation, different galaxies, universes, planets, what have you. There's just so much stuff that seems like it would be science fiction in the 50s. If it's all true, like Mike's saying, a soft approach is probably better than just slamming it all in your face at once. Absolutely. You can't You can't do that. I mean, look at what happened with War of the Worlds, and that was just a book. And you know that they look back on these encounters and these things, and they go, you know, that was just a story. And it was even stated before they read it, it was just a story, but people didn't catch the first part, so they thought it was real. Remember how I talked about programming in the beginning? It's mm. all part of the programming. It's all part of getting that information out the way that they want to get it out to where we're slowly programmed to accept it, that that it's always been there. How did I not know this before? Huh. You know, like to not even think about it because it actually happens on film sets and coming from in-house working on actual feature films and working in the industry there have been multiple counts on sci-fi programs that were regarding Roswell or regarding other other types of what would 
be perceived as fictional, but where we're taking real class cases and making them into real stories and bringing them to light, we're getting phone calls saying, you're getting too close. You need to change your script or we're going to shut you down. So really, wow. Mm-hmm. So in-house control, you know, people immediately think, oh, come on, that's not true. And I'm like, you know, if you pay attention to what is owned, operated and controlled, social media, entertainment, all of these things are controlled for whatever agenda they need to push, whatever. And it's not a bad thing. Sometimes we have to have that kind of control to help get information out in a healthy way, not to scare the general public. So I agree with it to an extent. But it is a type of, of, you know, you don't realize you're being programmed, but you're being programmed. Look in the last, let's just say, six years, the films that have come out involving extraterrestrial. How they come, what they do, how intelligent they are. Some are good, some are bad. I'm a time traveler. I'm coming back. I'm working in a secret program. You're not supposed to know about it. My dad was this. You know, if you pay attention to those scripts... And then you actually go and look at some of these hidden stories that are randomly leaked out from time to time. It's matching almost verbatim to some of the films that are being released. So what are they trying to do? Soft program us for a bigger event of disclosure that will be coming. And I know that one of the larger disclosures is coming in this next congressional because they've been preparing us in-house for it, that we are going to have more information than normal, which is good. Because I think more of this needs to come out because the general public is more aware. They're not so easily willing to be conformed into this is this and that is that. They're now using their own brain to kind of be like, look, that doesn't make sense. How come this is here? I mean, even Spielberg, when he did Close Encounters, that you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it was just such an incredible film. But what they don't realize is there, there was a leak there that he got that information from. And was able to create this with the help of Jalen Hynek and put this together on actual encounters and accounts that had happened within military projects and abductees and things like that. So there, there's always some truth to some of these films and people need to understand that. I mean, look at, look at Nope, for instance. First of all, fantastic film as a whole new perspective of what UFOs are. What if they were their own type of living, breathing aerial creature. I mean, that, how do you, you can't control that. How do you stop that from coming? So all these different things are just really cool, but they also program us to accept what if, okay, well, what if that, or what if this, you know, and it really starts opening the minds of the general public to be more accepting, you know, and, and it's the same thing with Bigfoot over the years. People have Somehow Sasquatch being a possible primitive or a descendant of Gigantopithecus Blackie has now turned into a folklore tale monster. And that's not at all what it originally was. So I, you know, it's, it's the same type of stuff. It's where is it headed? What is, what is the next big thing to come and how are they going to cover it up or actually just release it the way it needs to be released? And now he sells beef jerky. Yeah. Yeah. The jacklings. <laughs> As we're talking about the slow drip of information to condition the public to this information and why that's so important. In this next congressional hearing, if they were to just lay it all out on the table, say, okay, we definitely know there's extraterrestrials coming from here in these crafts to do this and this. What exactly do you think the general public's reaction to that would be? We knew it. It would be that simple. You think so? We, yeah, would be my reaction. We knew it. You guys like, have been ah. playing us stupid for so long. Ha ha, we knew it. 
Like this is incredible. And I think to be honest, it really needs to be done that way. I think they need to do it because talking to a lot of these military men and women, um, a lot of just normal eyewitnesses, public eyewitnesses, they don't feel justified. They feel like they are being told that they are crazy or that what they've experienced isn't real and that it's all in their head. And we have to just accept it because that's what they think. So just go along with it because we don't want to hurt their feelings for mental health. But they need justification. They need to feel validated. And so, yeah, it needs to happen. The, these releases need to happen for the people that are being heavily affected within society. And this is around the world. This isn't just in the United States. This is Canada. I mean, what's funny to me is we're the only country that is not as open about it with their public as others are. And that bothers me. And so we know China has their own investigative team. They now are doing the same type of process as like New Fork in China. They're doing it in England. They're doing it in, in Russia. They're, I mean, I mean, it's like, why is it in Italy, especially Italy? And it's like, why is it okay for them to disclose all this information and say, listen, this is not our tech. We do not make these things. And I think that's why now the government's able to come out and say, because I think they wanted the public to blame other countries. But now they're coming out saying, because now the public is becoming more aware that other countries have their own investigative teams because they're saying, this is not our software. This is not our tech. That now they have to say, oh, we know it's not man-made, which means it's not of this earth. We have not made it. The human race did not make this. So they're not pointing fingers saying, you know, well, well, we said it was Russia, but it's not Russia. Well, we said it might be China, but it's not China. Now they're just putting it under one globe saying, now we can confirm that it is not man-made. Well, how can you confirm that unless you've either made contact or we have an actual object in possession that we are working on? And I'm sure you've seen all the latest stuff, you know, that's now, have you guys seen oh. past the ice wall stuff? Good Ooh. grief. Yeah, I'm yeah. tagged in so many of those. I can't even tell you. I like open up my TikTok. I've been tagged in hundreds of these videos. I open up my Instagram, tagged in hundreds of these reels, and I'm like, um, how do I? How how can I give? Um, okay. Like I would be more up to believe this if I said, "Hey, listen." Away and get a new one. <laughs> Change my account name. I uh, who is that person? Yeah. Who's Brit Investigates? I don't know that person. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd be more of to believe in like, hey, we found a subterranean world because I have always, you know, believed because it had been proven for a long period of time that we do have a void in our earth and they do not know what lives in that void. So I've always believed in the theory and the possibility of hollow earth, you know, and not like all the way at the core, but there is a level where we do have a void. And so I'm like, what if there is a subterranean world? Like that could be real. Maybe that's where the aliens are from. Who knows? You know, like I always love thinking out of the box, but <laughs> To think like beyond the ice wall are other continents and they're all privately owned by the wealthy rich families. It's hard. I don't want to offend anybody, but that's hard for me to wrap my brain around. Like I'm and I'm an out there thinker, trust me. Out there. But that gets me I don't know. I'm more up to believing Megalodon is real <laughs> before talking about an ice wall being a barrier. I don't know how I feel about that. Just to backstep a little bit to the alien races that we were talking about, we've mentioned space, we've mentioned the oceans, you just mentioned hollow earth. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the possibilities that we have different races coming from any and or all of those places? And do you think that they have 
agendas within their own races as to what they're doing here or why they're here? Yeah, I do. I think just if you look at the human race, we have different races on our own planet. So I do believe that there are different races of extraterrestrial beings from wherever they're from, whether it be ocean, planets, space, whatever. I think that they they do have certain agendas. You know, like I, I have kind of theorized around when you see like the Tic Tacs and where they're coming from. There are minerals within our ocean. And if you notice, there are heavy amounts of activity around limestone and quartz crystal. And so we just don't know if they are mining and there is historical documents and historical um, journals written about, you know, oh, the extraterrestrial told me, you know, this being told me that they're, they were mining for a certain type of mineral because they need this mineral for X, Y, Z. And so it's like, okay, well, that could be an agenda. That would be why there's tunnels. That would be why there's mining. That would be why they're working within the Mesa because there's certain types of geological, you know, f- basically collective stone or crystals or whatever the mineral is that they need copper who knows i mean you just you just don't know but i think that each one does have their own like agenda but what i what i find fascinating and i I don't know if you guys have noticed this maybe it's just me but there seems to be a like a, a team effort if you will with the grays and what would be considered the tall white nordics Because it almost feels as though when someone sees a gray within an abduction case or on a table, Hmm. they then see the Nordics. It makes no sense. More human-looking entities, yeah. Whitley Strieber has that in his accounts. Exactly. Travis Walton. Several of them have these accounts of coming face-to-face. And what's really fascinating is that they're they're non-aggressive beings. They always are very intellectual. They provide knowledge. They talk about saving our planet, what we're doing wrong, what needs to be done. And throughout history, you can read even a Native American culture about these star people and how they looked. Are they the protectors? Are they here to really watch the planet because they're afraid because they lost their planet or where they're from that if we don't protect ours, like, this is the only place they can call home now because of it. I mean, there's been theories that the Nordic race, as they're called, or the tall whites are actually Atlanteans that were the advanced race that knew what was coming, managed to create the crafts mm-hmm. to survive and still live on our planet, but deep within our ocean. And they're the ones handling mm-hmm. most of the, the vessels coming in and out, which is not that bad of a theory. I actually like it. You know, I've, I've, actually grown very fond of it and talk about it quite often because if you look at the statistics and the data collected, it actually makes a lot of sense just based off of how they describe the Nordics versus what we know about Atlantis and the Atlanteans and how they live in a subterranean world now and and this, that, and the other. So, and you talk about Bird who actually went to a subterranean world and met these beings that he said were just beautiful, tall, you know, intelligent beings that were not scary. They looked like us with long hair. And it's like, whoa, woo, woo, hold up. You're talking about Nordics. You know, like it's 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 just fascinating. There's a lot of connection there. Definitely. I think the one other race too that's fascinating that comes up a lot, especially with the elite and government and politics is like the reptilians or the insectoids. They'd be more nefarious types of races. And we even, I think, mentioned it in our Hollow Earth episode that reptilians could actually be living within 
the bellows of our planet as well. I always hear about the reptilian race being within our government, like leading, providing, you know, information of, of an agenda of how we need to lead our society. Uh, there's so many, like, again, I'm tagged in these. So it's always fascinating to look through them. Um, you know, the accounts where they're like, oh, did you see her eyelids? You know, did you see her eyes? There it is. There was the glitch. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I'm like, I think that's just CGI. Because there's an account where there's, um, I don't know who she is. I still don't know who she is. But they blast her face everywhere. And they're like, do you see the, the gills under her skin or like the breathing of her, her scales showing and her eyes always blink the wrong way. And they always show this woman. I, She's a Ukrainian talk show host. Oh, is that who she is? Oh, my gosh. I've never been able to know who this woman is. Yeah. I'm just tagged in all of her videos. And I'm like, I don't know who this one. I've never met this woman. I don't know. What do you want me to tell you? I don't know. This is very weird. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who this woman is. Yeah, apparently it was caught on video a few times, different times that she was on screen. Now they're kind of keeping track of what she does, and they're like watching more intently. Oh, that's 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 very interesting. I, I had to look it up for one of our recent episodes, so <laughs> I got down that rabbit hole. You gotta be careful. Some of these rabbit holes will take you. Like I have been on some that I have looked up from my computer at like five a.m. and went, "Oh my god." I got to go to bed. My kids are going to be up <laughs> yeah. soon. My day is going to start, you know? And I'm like, oh my God. But it was so fascinating. You just get down and you're like, oh my God. What? <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot on the show. Yep. <gasps> yep. Yeah. It's crazy. I've got one more question for you. And I guess it kind of ties into what we were talking about with the species that could be living here. You were recently on the show with Demi Lovato and... Mm -hmm an episode where you guys were off of Catalina Island. And if you were to say what type of race would be the ones coming from the water, is there anything else that you can provide from that episode? You know, every time I go to Catalina, I'll be honest, I always leave that Island with more questions than answers. And, you know, a lot of, of course, a lot of what we did was, you know, it has to be cut edited for, you know, an hour program, which is very hard. Um, but that whole episode, episode three is, is literally my episode with them. We went around the Island and I had a blast, you know, working with them because what I admired was the fact that, um, nor Demi, not Dallas, not Matthew, nobody really did any research. They just wanted me to help provide them and point them in the right way. Um, so it was really interesting to see their reaction for the first time, not hearing any of this, you know, it was really cool. You know, if you were to ask me what race I believe could be in and around the channel islands, including Catalina and Guadalupe. It's really, really hard because one of the main abduction cases I go back to, and I just scratch my head at all the time involved a woman named Lori. And I had researched her case prior to UFO witness. I mean, like I said, I've been studying this Island for probably 12 years just based off of living in California and then hearing stories and rumors about like different paranormal accounts. And, you know, they believe that there's a portal somewhere in and around the Island. So I always just found the Island really interesting, but Lori's en encounter as a scuba diver for me was a little bit horrifying because as a scuba diver, you're already intimidated by being in this giant vast space of our planet that you don't know what lives down there. You know, it's like 5.6665999 or whatever the percentage is that has been fully, you know, touched in our ocean. But that still leaves a ginormous percentage amount that has not been seen nor touched. So we don't know what's down there. And her encounter 
she was scuba diving, dove in. She used to dive by herself all the time, older woman. And on this one encounter, these three, what she said, humanoid insect looking things in silver like suits with like a dome over their head came up and were talking to her and they weren't aggressive. They weren't intimidating like that. They just came up and they were telling her telepathically that they had been watching her, that she's doing so well in the water, that she's really getting to be more fluid in the water and becoming one of the water and all this other weird stuff. And that's really all she could remember after being put under regression therapy, because before that, she didn't remember anything. She went in the water, she jumped in the water. Hours later, she remembered waking up, tank and all, laying face down on the back of her boat. She didn't remember anything. Hours missing, time missing. And then she went under regression therapy. And then with Yvonne, which I know, and basically we talked about this case to her. And I said, you know, it just really fascinates me, these individuals that she saw. And she's like, yeah. And they didn't harm her. They didn't do anything to her. They just wanted to provide her knowledge and talk about, you know, where they were from and that they they basically live under the water and this is where they are. And I always found that fascinating because you go flash forward several years into Russia and you've got these Russian miners working on some of the underwater systems. Like, I don't remember how many feet down they were, 90 or 100. No, they were further down than that. 200 and something feet down because they were working on some of the deeper mining machinery. And three identical in almost description beings approach them and observe them and see what they're doing underwater. And this is like Russian government trained gentlemen working in-house for the, you know, whatever structure they're working on for the mining company that this is what they do. And it was the first time that these, I think it was like five guys that saw these three beings that come out of nowhere dressed exactly the same as Lori had described her encounter. We're talking years later. Another part of our planet from Catalina to Russia. I mean, what? <laughs> our, whoa, 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 whoa. Again, <laughs> another whoa, 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 back it up story. And I, I always link those two because the I- identification of all three, there was three in Lori's and three in theirs and how they were dressed were identical and talked telepathically. So it's weird to me, but look at where Catalina is versus where Russia is. People always think, oh, Russia is so far away. No, no. Yeah. Russia is like a hop, skip, and a jump from Alaska. You know what I mean? Look at where the island sits in the ocean where the NOAA captured a sound off the coast 2,000, basically, was it 2,000 miles away? That sounds like something out of Star Wars. Sounds like a door is opening and you hear the siren and then you actually can hear the uptick of what sounds like an engine growing stronger and then taking off. And they, to this day, cannot, it's called the upsweep. They still, to this day, cannot prove what that is. They don't know what that is. That's one of the ones that leaves them head scratching every time. But if you listen to it, they've basically sped it up a little bit so you could hear it because it was actually very long and drawn out. And it went on for several minutes and they had to like speed it up so you could hear it. But you literally hear what sounds like an underwater siren going off and an engine picking up. And they proved and confirmed there was no, not Russia, not any kind of submarine in that area where it was paying 2,000 miles away from the coastline in the middle of the ocean, just sitting there making the sound. What the heck is that? So again, we tested that on Catalina Island with Demi Lovato. We played different sounds underwater. And during one of the underwater testing sounds, we actually captured a big boom that 
I literally turned to my dive buddy, Andy, who's an incredible, he's incredible. He's a good friend of Ben and I's and, and I actually met him through Ben. I turned to Andy and I was like, did you, did you hear that? Like I'm looking at him. He's like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, was that the speaker hitting the boat? And he's like, no. I'm like, that was a huge boom. What the heck was that? And then we came up to the surface and I had found some really weird cables that were going deep into the ground. I have no idea what the heck those would have been to some metal fragments that we didn't collect that I was like, let's just leave it. I don't, I don't know. That could just be debris from some of the stuff here that people have thrown out over the years, but it was the sound that really got to me that here we are projecting sound to see what might make contact back. And we get this huge boom. And we're the only ones in the ocean that day. The The actual waters were so bad that day. All the other scuba diving and all the other ships had actually canceled for the day. We were the only ones that went out. It was that rough. And I was just like, there, there's nothing out in the ocean. We're not near any other boats. What was that boom? And nobody on deck was doing nothing because we were diving. So everything had to be quiet and calm. And you have to pay attention to the divers in the water. And so everything had to be really still. And I actually lost communication with everybody on top. I could, they couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear them. We lost full communication. There was static. It, it was it was crazy. So for me, I left. What the heck? You know, here I am going back to the island doing more investigation. This time I actually get to do underwater testing, which is something I have begged to do for years because I believe the more we do that, the more we're going to get answers from in and around the ocean. And I also believe in my own theory that the extraterrestrial that are within our ocean waters have learned how to communicate through our whales. I think we're only at the surface of that. But even the military, I believe it was in the 60s and 70s, we're tapping into using whale communication as a way to disguise our patterns and location data. And if we discovered that. Thank you, Brittany, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you. Hushlings, you can find all of Brittany's links in the show notes portion of our episode. We'll see you all on the next Declassified Discussions. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Sanders.